Welcome to Redefining Care, the podcast series that explores potential solutions to pressing issues and future challenges in social care. With each episode, we aim to bring you conversations with leaders and experts on care provision and explore new approaches on how the sector can deliver transformative and innovative care. From using technology to address crippling workforce challenges to exploring how other countries are looking after the growing need for care, Redefining Care will provide listeners with ideas that could be the catalyst for much needed change. I'm your host, Anissa Byrne, Marketing Director at the Access Group for their Health Support and Care Division, and I'm thrilled to host Redefining Care and get expert takes on how we can improve care in the UK. I'm delighted today to be joined by Amrit Dhaliwal, CEO of Wolfinch. Wolfinch provides bespoke, high-quality care at home to individuals and families across the UK. Amrit, thank you so much for joining us here on our podcast, Redefining Care. We're so interested in your story. Can you tell us how you started this journey and how did you progress your current role as CEO of Wolfinch? Um, Yes, thank you, uh, Anissa, and thank you for inviting me. Um, It's been a really interesting journey. Um, I I think from from my perspective, it's been uh, a move from an entrepreneurial journey into care. Uh, I started my... Um, a journey in business when I was 22, left university, worked for about eight months, realized can't do that. <laughs> um, and, um, uh, and then off I went and, and was able to get some funding together, both restaurants and, and so on. Um, Karen building this, this restaurant business up, but I realized at that point that, you know, it was a lot of uh, labor, but I, I wasn't uh, as passionate about it. And came across domiciliary care, um, really interestingly, through my wife. Um, and I looked around uh, immediately after having this uh, cup of coffee with her where she was like, I, I think you'd be good at dom care. And I was like, what on earth is that? Um, <laughs> next thing I know, I'm speaking to all the different franchisors around the country. And I, I bought a franchise, but it was, and this is 2012, I, I, I sort of signed on the dotted line in um, September, got my CQC registration at the end of November, uh, and then at the beginning of 2013, started my first hour of care. I realized at that point that this was it. I needed to become a franchisor. I needed to really update the, the, the market and really look at redefining uh, um, care and franchising within the space in the UK. And so I went about learning everything I could learn, build my business up, um, sold that, and then reinvested into starting my own franchising operation um, at the in, in 2019. And so, you know, uh, we're at about 30 locations or just shy of at the moment and, um, uh, and hoping to get to about 200 in the next seven to 10 years uh, around the UK. But we're really thinking about technology, automation, thinking about the sort of people in terms of leadership that we're bringing, bringing in and, and, and all that. And your own company values um, talk about this mum test, which I absolutely love. Can you tell me about how that came about and how you think other organisations could look to fit something similar to their culture around learning um, to provide that kind of mum mum care test that you uh, that you that you, that you that you talk about? No, sure, yeah. I mean, I I have always really thought about um, business in a very personal way, and I think when you're putting your name to something, it really needs to mean something. I started providing care uh, years ago, and, and I used to think about everyone that was coming on board. So carers, clients, everybody, and thinking, well, you know, is it good enough? And how do I figure out 
And how do I really simplify this so that my recruiter, my coordinator, anybody can say, this is the right sort of carer for us or the right sort of client actually for us. Um, and I, I once kind of came across it by accident where I was talking to one of my members of staff and I said, well, you know, I wouldn't let this person go and provide care for my own mum. So why would I let them provide care yes. for anyone else's mum? Uh, and from that, that kind of thought developed and, and really everything that we now do is centered around this mum test. Um, yes. And it's really just thinking, great, you know, can I send that care into my mum? Would I let that client go to my mum, et cetera? In the past, you've mentioned that you believe social care sector is moving towards a more person-centred model uh, of care. How do you think this changes the competitive landscape in the UK? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a really interesting shift that's happened post-Brexit and post-COVID uh, restrictions and lockdown. Um, I think most of our care providers in the UK historically have thought about local authority work and you know, quite often you know, do it cheap, pilot high, and that kind of mindset. Whereas I think that has really shifted, partly because yes. of uh, the way that care workers are now being paid more fairly, um, and, and therefore the margins no longer work. Uh, if unless you are charging a higher rate and therefore we're having that renegotiation with local authorities, but certainly we're building, uh, as, a, as an industry, we're building much more of a, an established private uh, private pay market. I was at the Languishon conference uh, recently and one of the, the big things that lots of the major players were talking about was that the volume in the private pay market has changed because mm -hmm. so many more players are coming uh, and, and getting involved in that. And essentially, I think from a competitive landscape, effectively what happens is that there's going to be a, a bit of a move uh, away from local authority work for a lot of providers. I think the local authorities are going to have to really think about this uh, and think about what they're charging because actually most uh, local authorities around the country are not paying a reasonable rate to providers. You know, it's not something that we can actually operate off. Um, and, and what that will really do is it will create a bit of a, a bubbling point with the private pay market. Uh, and so it will really mean that you, you have to focus on being premium, you have to focus on being really, really good quality, um, and you have to focus on that staff retention piece. So what I expect that will happen over the next sort of four, three to five years is that a lot of um, providers that are not really up to scratch will start to move out of the market because it will become too hard a climate for them. And we'll have a much more nuanced care provider that will be that will be here. But in that in that sort of meanwhile, I think it's going to be uh, a lot of work for everybody that is in the market um, because mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of uh, constraints and pulling. Embedding that premium and quality into the care sector, um, there's a lot of talk at the moment about the role of technology and it, the part it plays in increasing um, the quality of care, particularly in terms of home care. What are you doing at Wolfinch uh, in terms of using technology to improve that quality of care? We're really embracing it. Um, I am spending a lot of my time looking at tech um, and looking around the corner for technology. And so I spend some time in the States um, speaking to care providers out there because they're a little bit ahead of us um, mm -hmm. in, in terms of uh, technology and the use of it and so on and saying, well, okay, well, they've got a very established home healthcare market, which I also feel in the next sort of 10 years, we will start to kind of really move towards in a meaningful way. So it's really thinking about how do we get the technology that will feed us tomorrow and that will prepare us for that. 
Um, we're also looking a lot at AI and saying, well, how does that uh, help us? Where does the automation piece come in? Um, you know, from all of our processes. Um, and so, you know, first of all, we're completely paperless and that's kind of been the case from, from day one. Um, and we are largely cloud-based actually. So a lot of the platforms that we use are cloud-based or cloud-based things. And, and part of that came from you know, me thinking about, well, how I want to operate uh, a business yeah. um, and where you want to kind of travel or you want to, you know, get away from things, but you, you can't actually effectively do that unless you've got access to things from your mobile phone and so on. Um, and so we're really thinking about, not just about today and how we would utilize tech um, and, and AI, et cetera, but really thinking about, well, what does this mean in 10 years time? Um, and what is the business that we're trying to create? What is the service that we're trying to provide? And how does that impact the, you know, we've got three stakeholders, so the care worker, the client, and from our side, the franchisee as well. And so it's really thinking about how we can improve the lives of all three stakeholders by using technology. And we know in the US, in Canada and Australia, the use of home care monitoring technology is, you know, is used there quite a lot. In terms of adopting that type of technology um, at Wolfinch, um, is that something that you're looking at in terms of that home care monitoring piece? Absolutely. So one of the big moves was exactly that. Um, one of the big things was really thinking about that, that monitoring bit. Um, so the NHS started utilizing it and so on as well. And so what it really means is that longer term, we can start to track hydration uh, and, and other statistics and so forth and really start to do something with that data. Um, because there's one thing housing that data and then there's another thing kind of acting on that. And so you know, my aspiration is really to meaningfully reduce hospitalization, uh, keep people in their homes for longer and and stop that inevitable kind of descent onto the next stage because I think we can keep people healthier for longer because we've got information. Yes, and, and obviously to keep them in there, like you said, to keep them in their houses as, as long as possible. The Association of Directors of Adult Social Services has reported that the number of adults waiting for social care in England has risen sharply from about 294,000 last year to over 500,000 this year. And you've previously indicated that this increase will alter the way home-based care is perceived. In what way do you feel this? Well, I think, first of all, interestingly, there are hundreds of thousands of agencies that are ready and available to help some of that discharge to happen. And we just don't have access. And and, it, and strangely, in the last 18 months, our access has been reduced um, as an industry. So discharges have dropped, but capacity has increased, which you know is just absolutely bonkers. And that has happened from uh, huge players right down to the, the small mar and power operation. Um, so I, I think that is is problematic and so from my perspective there seems to be something wrong either from a budgetary point of view or from a uh, a planning and positioning point of view in terms of uh, the NHS and, and and helping with discharge I think yeah that really needs to be looked at relatively urgently um, and so what I think will happen in, in terms of the next sort of three step, steps uh, ahead, I think, you know, that will naturally get fixed because it has to, because we are, we, we're just constantly at a different sort of critical point. You know, I, I've been in home care for just over a decade now, 
And I feel like well, there's always a kind of moving target of of a critical point, and it just needs someone to properly address it and and just start again. Um, so the hospital piece will naturally calm down. What will then happen, I expect, is that there'll be some sort of change in terms of sponsorship licenses, and that will create a, a, a bigger issue um, than what we've started with in it right now. You know, I think eighteen the last eighteen months have been pretty brutal uh, for domiciliary providers, and I think the last three to six months, um, certainly statistically, we've seen that that you know things have started to calm down. Um, there's a lot more. Uh, availability of staff, the capacity is increasing, and so on. But I think actually that will become uh, quite a um, scary place for providers that are over reliant on sponsorship licenses within the next eighteen to twenty four months. Um, and I think what what effectively will happen is that you'll have a, a sort of good percentage of the market that will just not be there anymore, um, and. That's due to poor planning and not having that foresight and, and then thinking about, well, where are we sort of investing and reinvesting? Um, but what that will do is it will create a much more sort of nuanced home care provider. Um, and I think what we're seeing now is a move of various professionals coming into the market who are thinking about this in a much more strategic uh, perspective, as opposed to just thinking about it from a, um, you know, I, I want to provide care. They're really thinking about it from a kind of, right, what is the problem? How do we solve the problem? And I think that's a really important way to look at home care, because it is a bit of a jigsaw puzzle that needs uh, a solution. And we're hearing more and more, Amrit, about virtual wars and our ability to help manage capacity, to your point earlier, through the system. In terms of the integration of that social care record with the NHS record, how involved have you been in the move towards virtual wards and the part that social care plays within that overall picture? Um, you know, we really throw our hat in the ring for as many things like that that we can pilot as possible. Um, around Oxfordshire, we've really worked collaboratively with social work teams. Um, for example, I mean, I, I sort of sit in the Oxfordshire branch quite a lot. Um, to work very collaboratively with relationships that we've got there to say, well, okay, well, how can we fit in? How do we work with you guys to, to sort of help solve those issues? Um, you know, right down to sort of thinking, well, okay, how do we, um, you know, use that tech to, um, you know, get in with uh, dentists around the country that can help domiciliary, you know, GPs, op opti opticians, et cetera, you know, really sort of taking that to the next level on um, and so, so it's really kind of looking at all of the services and not just that, that one sort of uh, piece as a standalone. Yeah, absolutely. Proper integrated care, right, through all the different services that you've mentioned. And uh, turning it now to some other challenges that the social care sector is facing, in, in particular the sh uh, shortage of staff and the lack of funding uh, for training of staff. What do you think are some of the steps industry could take to improve um, both career recruitment in the sector, but also the retention and building of careers uh, for staff in the sector? I think it's a really interesting question. And I've done a lot of talks recently in you know, various different places, the, um, you know, the Care Manager Show and the, the Care Week UK, et cetera, um, uh, all around recruitment, retention, and, and how that change um, can kind of really help the industry. I think the the immediate things are 
sponsorship licenses have really helped the market. Um, I don't feel like that's a long-term solution. I think that's a very sort of transient and short-term. Um, and and I think that as a provider, you need to be quite careful as to how reliant one is on on building a whole organization out of sponsorships. However, you know, keeping a, a sensible percentage um, uh, of, of sort of um, workers that come in through the licenses has been really useful. And it also has meant that it's freed up a lot of local capacity. So I think that's been quite a meaningful change that's happened in recent time. Um, I think in terms of career development, what we need is a rebrand of the industry. And a lot of people are talking about, oh, well, you know, we need to professionalize care and, and so on. But what we need is for care to be cooler, interesting, and more fun. Uh, it needs an actual rebrand. Um, and and we, you know, if we think about what well, most care workers get involved in, in, in care because, well, they want to do something bigger. They want to be nurses, OTs, and so on. Some of them, quite a small percentage, but some of them are able to do that. I and mean, we actively really, you know, help um, care workers with that that uh, progression, you know, to, to sort of keep them within the healthcare space, but actually, you know, it might mean that they're starting off as care workers, or it might be that we're going to universities and saying, right, let's bring in people from social work, occupational therapists, and so on, give them some community experience, which is super useful, and then they can go back out there. But then, you know, not only have we got great relationships with people that are um, yeah, in those positions, but also they really get it um, from from ground yeah. level. Um, so I think, you know, more collaborative work, whether that is um, from the providers doing it kind of organically or, or whether that is local authorities and government initiatives, I think, you know, would be very useful. Um, there's some great organizations, i.e. the Home Care Association, that are quite behind, you know, uh, uh, change and, and doing things like that. The other big thing that I think is really useful is is just looking at how care is presented. Uh, if I talk to my 21-year-old nephew uh, and, and ask him, well, what does a home care member of staff do? Uh, you know, his mindset immediately is personal care, wiping bottoms and so on. He yes. isn't necessarily thinking about all of the wonderful, fun stuff, the touch points that they can, uh, uh, that we're providing our service users, um, going out for those lovely coffees, able, uh, enabling somebody to leave their house and just go to the, the post box uh, and, and really kind of meaningfully change that or the the impact that you have on families and so on. So I think there's there's a whole host of, of things there that, that should and could be done because if we think about that, how do we attract that you know, Gen Z or Z or whatever they're called? Yes. Um, yeah, it's, it's really thinking about changing the way it's presented and actually that generation is very interested in social impact um, and I think we could really present ourselves uh, accordingly. And so there's a lot of interesting work that could be done, but I think what it needs is some proper investment. Um, and currently there's proper investment on you know, looking at nurses and NHS and so on, but there isn't really proper national investment looking at care workers and showing a career path because you've got that internal career path of you're going to start as a carer, senior carer, coordinator, manager, et cetera, possibly, you know, from, from Wolfinger's side, we offer um, people that have been with us for a long time uh, a sort of more uh, um, friendly rate on purchasing a franchise and, and, and operating business. 
um, because there's a small percentage of people that want to do that, but it gives them something. Um, but it's really th- saying, how do we scale that nationally? No, thank you for that. Thank you. Um, and talk, turning for a second to um, the NHS Confederation, who published an open letter to the Prime Minister calling for a social care workforce plan. What, in your opinion, is um, why do you think that is important to commission an equivalent workforce plan for the social care sector? I think, you know, when we're talking about investment um, and we're talking about the amount of money that is locked up in hospital beds at the moment because of poor discharge um, or people being unable to, uh, to, to kind of leave and so on. I think just purely from a from the government's point of view, I think just looking at the 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 cost that it is incurring the taxpayer is significant. Um, and without developing domiciliary care to the next level, we are not going to be able to get out of that rut. We are not going to be able to um, you know release beds. We're not going to be able to reduce the cost. And actually, really. What we don't want is the next crisis, which will be like hospitals are overloaded, ICU units are overloaded, and so on. And we're then starting to create um, things at home, which will inevitably happen, but we'll be doing that in a panic buying situation as opposed to thinking, well, here is a 10 year plan on developing the right type of care workers, you know, getting them signed off. On, by district nurses, giving them that kind of experience with the suction, the peg feeding, the, uh, et cetera, and more sort of um, you know invasive type of procedures and starting to develop that workforce. So not only are we getting new people in, but we're redirecting people from other parts of the industry or other industries and creating this army of people that are able to support the NHS in a much more meaningful way than anything else. I mean, if you look at, mm-hmm. uh, you know, COVID and, and the lockdown there, I think, you know, that that really just said it. Uh, you know, I think I think we proved our point there where home care workers were at the forefront of the whole thing. They were supporting the whole industry um, and supporting everyone. I mean, you know, the, com- the country would have come to a grinding halt without them. For sure. For sure. Thank you. No, thank you so much for your uh, insights today on uh, domiciliary care. And um, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on Redefining Care for another great episode. And we look forward to seeing you again soon. If you want to learn more, please do get in touch using the hashtag hashtag Redefining Care and feel free to connect directly with the details included in the show notes. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe to our newsletters to stay up to date with our upcoming episodes and share Redefining Care across your platforms. See you on the next episode.